That was right at the end. What else was in there? This is chapter 43. Thank you. Yes, I am with you. One of the key statements that was said near the beginning, God was saying, in all that you're going through, remember when you go through the water, through the river, through the challenges, through the things that seem to drown you, I am with you. When you go through the fire, when you go through trial, through things that are scary or painful, when you suffer, I am with you. The great promise of Yahweh, I am with you. What else? There was one more that was said towards the people. God said, I will be with you. God said, I'm doing a new thing. And then he said something of his people. He said, you are, yes, you are precious in my sight. I love you. You are precious. And then one more thing he said of his people. He actually said, you are my, good guess. That, that's almost as good as saying Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, in the Old Testament context, that is the right word. But yes, witness was the word that he said. You are my witnesses. In other words, because I'm with you, because I love you, because I'm doing a new thing, you are able to tell the world about who I am and about what it's like to be in relationship to me. I want you to remember that so that as we read this sermon, you can see the connections there. How in the church and in Christ and in the disciples... As you said, Mona, God is still doing the same thing. So listen for those words. I am with you. I'm doing a new thing. You are my witnesses. You are precious. And we'll just, we'll see those connections. So if you want to turn there, I'm reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Here we go. Oh, yeah, you know what? Let's do some background. So if you weren't here last week, I want to remind you, Peter has been led by the Holy Spirit to begin to go out and continue the witness. Jerusalem has been satis satisfied, saturated with witness. And then what was the next target area, according to Jesus? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Yeah, and so that's where Peter goes. He goes to Judea, he goes to Lydda, and he heals a paralyzed man, a man who's been paralyzed for eight years. The story sounds very much like the stories of Jesus. It's the same kind of story. It's the continued ministry of Jesus. Then he moves on to Joppa. What happens in Joppa? I hear a lot of mumbling. I'm looking for a clear answer. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has this little dream. Yeah, but before that, Dorcas, or what's her name in English? Gazelle, thank you, yeah. Greek, not so good. Dorcas, Gazelle, that's a beautiful name, beautiful name. Maybe it was even pronounced Giselle. She is raised from the dead. Again, stuff only Jesus did. So the witness goes on, the testimony goes on, the miracles go on. Then, yes, the story, John, you started to mention. While Peter is in Joppa, the Holy Spirit gives him a vision. It's a barbecue vision. It's a sheet full of everything that could possibly be eaten. At the same time, there's another vision going on in the town of Caesarea. What's that vision? Yeah, the centurion, a Roman, not a Jew, but a devout believer in God, is praying as he does regularly. And he says, hey, I want you to send down to Joppa. There's a man there that's going to come and tell you all about me, all about the truth. At the same time, Peter's having a vision. 
about eating reptiles and snakes and all that. I won't go over all that, but you guys remember it because that's going to come up in here. So now it's happened. The, uh, the centurion's messengers have gone to Joppa. They've picked up Peter, and he's come back. And now the centurion has assembled a pretty large crowd, maybe about like this, friends, family, uh, some of his workers, maybe some of the other people that he knows in town because they want to hear what Peter has to say. And now, by the way, we've gotten just out of Judea and Samaria. We're like on the edge of the ends of the earth, but just the beginning. And here's what Peter says. Again, chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I want to stop there, but I'll come back. <laughs> Such a huge statement. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the, providence, the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love that statement. He went around doing good. <laughs> Such an understatement. Verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is a tremendous explanation of the gospel, the entirety of the gospel. So if you sometimes forget or want more clarity on what is the gospel, study these verses. It, it is the perfect source for really being able to understand and explain what the gospel is. And so let's go through it a little bit today to cover that so that we, we understand that, so that we see that. First of all, Peter starts out with this very personal statement. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. What is that coming from? What's behind that statement? Yeah, the vision that he had of Joppa. Yeah, pretty incredible. So he had understood that God was a, had favorites, and who were the favorites of God? Yeah, the Jewish people. They seemed to be God's favorite. And Peter took it that way, and Peter believed it that way. And these dietary laws were laws that showed, yeah, only certain things are acceptable. A lot of things are not acceptable for you to eat. And so they translated that into a metaphor also for humans, that certain humans were acceptable, those who followed the law and those who were Jewish by birth, and other humans were not acceptable. And that was his understanding. What's the new revelation that Peter has now? I understand now that God does not show favoritism. 
this is quite a change. This is a huge epiphany. It's not that he said God no longer shows favoritism. What does he say? God has never shown favoritism. This favoritism was a huge misunderstanding on the part of the Jewish people. What was it that Yahweh said to Abraham when he chose him to be special? What did he say? I will bless you so that you can be my favorite. No, that's not what he said. That's what was understood, even all the way up until Peter's time. That's what was understood. We're favorites. God likes us no matter what we do. No, he said, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. This has always been God's idea. I love people so people will love others. I love people so that they can let other people know that I'm a loving God. This has always been the way. And Peter now, this late in life, as a follower of Jesus, has this epiphany. God accepts people from every nation, and specifically the one who fears him and does what is right. This is such a new idea. And notice that it's very personal. He accepts the one who fears him and does what is right. Again, super good news. There is no favoritism with God. Every individual human that believes in Jesus and does what is right, God accepts. Now, we could really get off on does what is right. What do you think if your child, if you're reading this scripture and you're with a daughter or a son or a niece or a nephew and they say does what is right, how are you going to explain that? What's the right answer here? Mind mommy. Yeah, that's the way not to do it, so that's a good example. Okay. Sorry? Yes, thank you for jumping to the end of the passage and getting the right answer. Yeah. Believes the one whom he has sent. Jonathan, what was on your mind? Yeah, somehow doing right is related to relationship. Yeah, and our tendency, unfortunately, in the kind of the theology of the last several decades is to go towards moralism as if that's what it is to do right. And there's a reality in that, but that's not what Peter is, re Peter is referring to. Jesus never accepts us on our, based on our moral behavior. The, the entire Old Testament was to prove that's not possible, Right? The scriptures say what could not be done by the law, God did by sending Jesus Christ in the flesh. So if we go back to this idea of, oh, doing good, that's moralistic. That's being a good human, doing the right thing. No, no, you've completely misunderstood. That's not what doing right is. Doing right is totally relational. Let's go on to, to see a little bit more uh, where that comes from. So the very next line, you know the message sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news Evangelion, gospel, this is the good news, peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Have we ever heard Peter say Lord of all before this? I, I don't think so. What has been said of Jesus to this point? King of the Jews, and Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. And I think it's extremely significant that for the first time, Peter says, Jesus is Lord of all. He now understands Jesus is not just the Lord of Jews, but he is the Lord of all. 
And again, this is good news. This is for everyone. And again, the promise is peace. Peace is a limited word for us in the English. The Hebrew word here would be shalom. This wasn't written in Hebrew, but that's the concept. The concept is shalom. Let's remind each other what is shalom in all of its fullness. What is shalom? Yes, it's about restoration. Yes. What else? Yeah, peace from God, a relational peace with God, so no more hostility toward him and no more um, sin against him. Absolutely, yeah. How does restoration relate to peace? This idea of wholeness and restoration. I think it could be said this way. Jesus came to bring a universal and once and for all, sigh of relief. Where every human could go at the same time, ah, that's shalom. Shalom is when you reach a place of complete rest, where you couldn't think of anything else that isn't right. Everything has been made right. That's the peace of Jesus. This is why it's so critical to understand the idea that Jesus came to be king, to be governor, that he brought a government. He brought a government that was, is benevolent and that is powerful and that seeks the good of every individual. And this, this is what the peace of Christ is. It's this, everything is right. Nothing is wrong. Does that make sense? Right? And we, we taste that today, right? Don't you have moments where you in your life have come to understand certain aspects of who Jesus is and what he's done, and you're just kind of like, wow, thank you. Like around your own sin, around guilt and shame that you carry for a long time, and you feel like, gosh, I, I just can't get it right. And then Jesus says, or we finally hear him say, you're forgiven. Come, come back. Come back in here, you little. <laughs> I love you. Come back. You're forgiven, right? Or when there's a break in relationship between you and a friend or a parent or a child or a spouse, and he said, hey, we can make that right. We can fix that. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Now forgive each other. There we go. There we go. It's right. That's the peace of Christ, and he, he brings that to everyone. The key is whether we come under the government of Christ. And right now, because God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance, there's this tremendous reality of free will, right? Where we can come under that go government voluntarily or not. And this is a limited time offer. That won't always be true. There will be a day, and we'll get to that in a minute, when that offer is taken off the table. But I want to make sure we get this. The government of God is shalom, right? It's peace. It's wholeness. No matter what's going on, no matter how much we suffer or how bad situations get, Jesus is going to make it right. And if we just hang in there, it's going to be okay. Let's go on. By the way, I don't want to make too light of this and make it too individual. This peace is for the entire earth, and it's for all people. And it's for all countries. So to whatever degree, not just an individual allows themselves to be under the government of Jesus, but to whatever degree, a household, 
or a community or a church or even a nation, a country or a state brings itself under the government of Jesus, to that degree, peace can be experienced. So this is a national idea as well as an individual idea. Verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Here's that phrase, because God was with him. So again, Jesus, this is part of the gospel, came as the model of what humans were meant to experience. The relationship that Jesus has with God the Father is a model of the relationship that any human can now have with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Notice, too, again, the affirmation that Jesus did not do what he did because he was God, but he did it because he was what? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a model. We cannot be God but we can be anointed with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was a model for us of what life can look like when we are in right relationship with God. The other piece about rightness here that I want us to talk about is this idea of there's also another wrestling match going on, not just between humans, but what else is not at peace in the world? Where is the other conflict? Yeah, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So there is this force, this rebellion in the spiritual realm against God. So Jesus came not only to make human relationships right, but he came to make universal and spiritual relationships right, which is to pull down the works of the devil, to take away the authority of the devil, to free people from what the devil does to them, and to be set free. You see how big this sigh of relief is? It's like... The idea is that literally there's nothing left that's wrong when Jesus is fully come as king. And, and we've been created with a knowledge of what is right. We've been created with a knowledge of how things should be, every one of you. And whenever there's a sense of stress or discomfort or suffering or anxiety, it's because something isn't right. And Jesus came to make all things right. Yeah? Yeah. This is the good, isn't this good news? Right? Again, we have to remember, okay, things are still not right. What's going on? We only get a taste right now because the fullness of rightness only comes when the door is shut to repentance and forgiveness and entering into the family. And that's a really good reason. If you have loved ones who don't know Jesus, then we have to be thankful that God hasn't made everything right because once that happens, everything is made right. And everything that's wrong is put away. This is the good news. Verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What's Peter doing now? He's given us the theological good news. What's he giving us now? Some of the personal good news. Peter is saying, by the way, I have a story to tell. 
I myself have experienced the work of Jesus Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a witness. It says that we were called to be his witnesses. Jesus appointed us to be his witnesses. And what I want to encourage you with here, my friends, is that this is the good news for you and I. When it's time for us to bear witness, gosh, that's such a weird phrase. <laughs> when it's time for us to tell our story, we have a story to tell. And that's simply what Peter is doing. Peter had a story to tell. You could ask Peter, who is Jesus? What is it like to encounter him? And this is how he would answer that question. It looks like this. And again, this is the good news. For us to be witnesses of Jesus is just to tell our story. When did you first encounter Jesus? What was it like? Where were you? What was the encounter? What was the exchange? What did you learn about him? What did he do for you? This is all that Peter is doing. He's just telling his story. And to him, it was an amazing story. It was a life-changing story. And this is what it is for us. Uh, if you remember, what was the thing Jesus most commonly said to people after he changed their life? <clears throat> Go and sin. That was rare, but that happened. What was the common thing? He said a lot. Yeah, go tell your friends, go back home and tell people what the Lord has done for you, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the testimony. And what I'm wanting to encourage you with this morning is our testimony is not necessarily apologetics. It's not necessarily having all the right answers to the confusing questions of life. But first and foremost, witness is two things. It's telling the story you know, the story you've experienced, and it's knowing enough of the gospel to kind of talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. Does that make sense? We all have a story to tell. And to be honest, most often, people actually want to hear your story more than anything. If you are a person who has begun to live in the peace of Jesus, and that is observable, when others are panicking, you're not. When others are overwhelmed with anxiety and you're not, that calls for, hey, why is there hope in you? And then the answer can simply be, and it's not a big theological answer, it's just a story. I know Jesus. I know that Jesus is with me. I know that Jesus considers me cherished and loves me. Yeah, and I know that Jesus has asked me to tell my story. He's asked me to be a witness. It's just that simple, and that's all Peter is doing. Let's look at the rest of the story. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So first of all, I love this phrase in verse 40, 43, all the prophets testify about him. What does that mean in, in our language? All the prophets testify about him. It means that pretty much the Old Testament is all about Jesus, right? Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with two disciples who didn't know who they were with? What did he say? He said, all the law and all the prophets point to me. And so really, there's no reason to get confused about the Old Testament scriptures if you're always asking this one question, what does what I'm reading right now tell me about Jesus Christ? 
He said, that's what the Old Testament is all about. It just tells the pre-story about me. That's all it is. It's very simple. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone believes in him, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I believe that when it's time to share the gospel and to tell our story, there is always a spiritual battle present. If you are the devil and you want to resist the success of God and you want to destroy the work of Jesus Christ, where is the most critical, central point for you to attack? It's when someone who doesn't know the truth gets into the presence of someone who does. Strategically, the devil has lost a lot of people already. Evil has lost a lot of people already. But if you want to win some sense of the war, you need to stop each of those people from sharing that story with someone who doesn't know it and who doesn't believe it. This is the point of attack. How many of you are fi have been faced with that opportunity to witness to or to share with someone about Jesus and you found it to be difficult? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, let me compare this to this. Anybody know about Donut Land? Yeah. A lot of you know about Donut Land because of me. I am a witness of Donut Land. I get paid no commission. I get no free donuts. But I have encountered Donut Land. And I know that Donut Land makes the best donuts in the world. And so when I, and don't disagree with me, because you're wrong, because I've got the mic. <laughs> Do you think I have trouble telling people about Donut Land and how good the donuts are? I don't. I do it too much. I make a big deal out of it. But I love donuts, and if I see other people who love donuts, I want to them to love the best and get the best like I do. There is no spiritual battle talking about Donut Land. And anytime it comes up, I just tell people. I don't, oh, what are the words? What are the words? What's the right answer? Oh, do I talk about the glaze? Do I talk about the, the filling, that they're light? Oh, what are the details? Oh, donuts are, what are donuts? What, you know, none of that. There's no spiritual battle. I just say, they have amazing donuts. What's your favorite donut? Drew, what's your favorite donut? Apple fritters. What? I don't know what that is. A croissant donut. I don't know if they have them. You're messing up my story. <laughs> I'm going to go with apple fritter. You said that first. Their apple fritters are so light and so big, and they taste like they just came out of the oven. They've got real apple chunks. They're really big. Tons of cinnamon. Melt in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. You can freeze them seven seconds in the microwave. Two weeks later, tastes like you just came out of Donut Land. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, no, we're going to stop there. That's enough. <laughs> What's my point? There's no fear. There's no confusion. There's just love for donuts. <laughs> Why then, when someone talks about 
being in an anxious spot and having no hope and needing some help, I know the right answer. <laughs> Jesus. What, what, why, am, why am I not the same way I am about donuts? Oh, I know exactly what you need. I know exactly what you need. It's a spiritual battle. Satan shows up and says, no, I'm not going to allow for this. And if we stand there without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we lose the battle. Because human strength can't resist that. Human strength can't resist Satan. He is stronger than a human. And we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. But it's in the strength of the Holy Spirit that we can say, no. I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control right now. And I can talk about this. And I can tell my story. And I don't have to doubt, and I don't have to be confused, and I don't have to try to remember what the words are, because I have a story. I have my own story. I don't have to remember Peter's story, and I don't have to remember all the theology that's behind it, although some of that's really good to know. I have a story to tell, and that's simply what Peter's doing. He's telling his story. Let me wrap up everything I've said <coughs> in just a few slides here. Peter was doing what we've all been called to do. Yahweh has said, my people, I'm with you. I love you. Be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And here's the simple childlike story. Number one, tell the story you know. To be a witness is to tell the story you know. When uh, there is a trial and witnesses are brought, the witnesses are never told to tell anyone else's story. They're not there for expert advice. They're not there for anything else but to tell the story they know. And that's what it means with the gospel as well. Just simply tell the story you know. In brief, the story I know is that I was born and have always been a fairly tender-hearted individual. And in my young life, I was shocked early on by the roughness of some things, the cruelty of people, and what goes on, and how people are not nice to each other. As a child, that I didn't get that. Why is everyone not nice? And then, as a young man, I realized I wasn't nice, <laughs> and I wasn't completely innocent, and I had certain feelings and desires that caused me to be hurtful, that caused me to lie, and this inconsistency from what I thought as a child really broke my heart. And then as I got a little bit older, I started to learn about death, and death freaked me out. <laughs> when I was 10 years old, I was watching Billy Graham on uh, the television, and he was talking about, hey, what happens after death? And as a 10-year-old, I'd never thought about that before. But it freaked me out. What, what is this all about? What I'm saying is I was a person of great fear and insecurity. And today, I'm not that person anymore. Because of the presence of Jesus Christ, he's forgiven my sins. He's forgiven the sins of everyone who has sinned against me. He is eventually going to make all relationships right, and this is my story. Hey, kids, come on in. It's good to see you. We're going to worship here in just a minute. Let's go on here, Santhia. Secondly, we do need to know the gospel. There are certain things we do need to know, and according to Peter, there's just two, and here's what they are. Number one, we need to know that next bullet point. Jesus is Lord of all, and he came once to establish a government of peace. This is the gospel. 
Jesus has come, and he is Lord of all. If you're ever needing to share your faith, the first word that should come out of your mouth is Jesus. Remember, it's the Sunday school answer for everything. If you start there, you're going to go well. If you start there, you're going to do great. I need to tell this person. What am I going to say? Jesus. Oh, there we go. Now I'm on the right track. Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of all humanity. He is Lord of all spiritual beings. He is Lord of all. And he came to establish a government of peace over both demons, angels, humans, good and not good. And secondly, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the judge of all. He will come again to acquit all who believe in him. And again, super good news. That can sound like bad news. And really, when we use this truth to start with bad news, we're blowing it. We're missing the point. The point isn't Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he upset. And you better get your act together. That's not what it is. Jesus has come once, and he has made a way for acquittal, universal acquittal. Before this judge ever sits in the bench, he makes a way for every human to be acquitted. What incredible good news. He knows the Father's going to appoint me to judge everyone. So before that happens, let's go make a way for everyone who's guilty to be acquitted. Then let's go sit in the judge's bench. That's super good news. It's not about condemnation. It's about acquittal. It's about acquittal. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all about acquittal. This is the good news. Jesus is making things right. Jesus has taken care of condemnation. That's the good news. That's all we needed. (laughs) Would you stand with me? Worship team, come on up. We're going to sing a new song right now. And I believe that this song is... Probably the greatest theme song we could imagine for what we're learning right now and what God is taking us through. I think it's the, it's a theme song for Acts and Luke, Luke and Acts. <clears throat> and so I want to uh, encourage you not just to try to keep, keep up with the words because they flow pretty fast, but I want you to really drink in the truth of this song. You're only getting exposed to it today, so I know it's going to be a little rough, but I, we're going to be doing it week after week. And I really hope that through it, we can really cement in our minds these amazing truths that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus has made a way for us to be free. Let's worship around this idea. Let's wait to go to the tables till this song is over. And then I'll come back and I'll dismiss you to the tables. But right now, let's just remember the fullness of the gospel and let's worship Jesus. Jesus.